This morning, if you take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, and we'll be starting at verse number 57. Once again, I'm excited to uh, share God's Word with you. I'm always excited to be able to share God's Word. I hope God's Word excites you. Uh, One of the things I was encouraged by last Sunday in the evening when Brother Mark Logan was here and uh, he was sharing his presentation was the these countries that he goes in, these very needy places, closed countries, uh, where maybe they're not even allowed to have a Bible. They don't get to meet often openly. They just thrive for the Bible. They live for the Bible. They want, they crave the Word of God. And that encouraged me. You know, are we doing that here? We're in a free country. We we have the Word of God. You know, we all, I bet you all have multiple copies of God's Word at home with you. And I hope that you you crave that Word. Uh, at WBF this week, uh, we were um, studying the lesson and afterwards we just have a bit of discussion. And that's one of the things we talked about is, you know, in, in the Old Testament, you read about these, these believers, these Christians, these followers of God and the faith that they had. And they had this great faith. You think about Joseph and the faith that he had and the trials that he went through in his life. You know, what word that what what promises that that Joseph had? He knew that he had God. He trusted God, but he didn't have the, some of these promises that we have, we don't have, he didn't have the, the stories look back upon and the records look back upon and say, look, God is going to carry me through. They're trusting solely upon, uh, God and their belief in God. And we have this word and, and we should be in this word. We should be craving it and it should be exciting us. And I hope to today, uh, as I share this message, it excites you and, and, and it speaks to your heart this morning. So here we're in the Gospel of Luke this morning, and at this point in the in the Gospel of Luke, uh, we are well into the ministry of Jesus Christ at this point. Uh, we know Luke, a uh, physician, he also wrote Acts of the Apostle, and he gro- goes into great detail about the ministry of Christ in the Gospel of Luke. You think about a physician and their detail, their their. Uh, their attention to details, and you can see that in the way he writes some of the things he talks about and just the way he writes uh, the book of Acts as well. And he goes into detail about Christ's ministry here in Luke. And we see at the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus sends the disciples out to preach the gospel, and they're given power and authority over devils and to cure diseases, and they're, they're doing this to share the gospel. They're doing it to show the power and grace of God. And actually, if you'd keep your place here, um, at the end of the chapter, but we're going to read at the beginning of Luke, starting at verse number 1. The Bible says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to, and to heal sick. And he said unto them, Take nothing for your journey, neither staves nor scrip, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece, and whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide and thence depart. And whosoever will not receive you, when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet for a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. And this morning, I want to preach the message, and I want to talk about the topic of the cost to follow Christ. The cost of following Christ And here at the beginning of the chapters, we see the disciples, and they understood what the cost to follow Christ was. Uh, As 
as Jesus Christ sends them out, here he says in uh, verse number three, he says, take nothing for your journey, neither staves. And he's talking about uh, a stick or a staff. He's saying, don't take multiple, take what you need, just have that one. It says, nor a script. And that was basically a little satchel or a bag. And they maybe will be able to put a, a couple of coins. Uh, they could put maybe um, something, uh, sustenance, maybe uh, some kind of loaf or dates and things like that. And he says, you know, don't take these things with you. He says, neither bread, neither money, neither have two coats apiece. And he's saying, literally, you need to go out. This is urgent, and I'm going to be providing for you. He says, neither have two coats apiece. And that would be a rare luxury in those days. And he was basically saying they're not to be concerned about physical needs. They weren't even to have a bag or food, and they were totally reliant upon God, focused on the task and not on how they would be trying to provide for themselves. And then it says, And whatsoever house ye enter into, there abide and thence depart. And that's talking about going. They're not having a place to stay. They're going to find that local house. They would have these house churches, and they'd be reaching people through the, the home. And they're saying, This is where you're going to abide and then depart from there and move on. And whosoever will receive you, or whosoever will not receive you. And they realized that there was going to be rejection. The ministry wasn't always easy. And even with the power and authority from God going out, he's saying you're going to be rejected. And that's a great reminder to us as well as we go into this world. And we're often fearful about rejection. You know, the disciples, they were sent with the authority of God. And he said, go, you're to preach the word. You're to share the gospel. And he says, you are going to be rejected, but you need to dust off your feet. You need to dust it off and keep moving on. And that's what the disciples were going through. And they understood that. As a follower of Christ, they were already following him. They realized there was a cost to follow Jesus Christ. The general spirit of the instructions here is basically go forth in the simplest, humblest manner with no hindrances to your movements and in perfect faith. And that's what they did. And they went out and the disciples um, following Christ, they already had that attitude. They already knew what they were getting into. So they had very little wants as well as they went out. They were prepared to do the task at hand. They knew what the cost was to follow Christ. And they had forsaken all. They left their livelihoods behind. Their nets behind. Their jobs behind. They left security behind. Can you imagine walking away from your job and saying, I'm going to follow? They left what they were comfortable with. Some left their families while they traveled. There was a cost to follow Jesus Christ. And here in chapter 9, there's a lot going on. Uh, we see the feeding of the 5,000, which is an amazing miracle to recall looking at that. And then in verse 22 of this chapter, we see that there's a shift as Christ is preparing himself and the disciples as well for the cross that is to come. Luke 9.22 says, um, saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. And he said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and and lose himself or be cast away? And once again here, the disciples are reminded of this great commitment in following Christ. They look at Christ and Jesus Christ wasn't just willing to suffer 
and be rejected, but he was, it was necessary. He says, he says, the Son of Man must suffer. It was part of God's plan. So the disciples knew that if Christ was willing to accept the suffering and rejection, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, they must too be willing to suffer and be rejected. So this morning we're going to look at what it is to be a follower of Christ or this, this call of service as a Christian or as a believer. So we're here in Luke chapter 9 and we're going to start at verse number 57. And this is the passage we're going to focus on this morning. Verse number 57, the Bible says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but, that, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back, back is fit for the kingdom of God. So here in this passage, we see these three different men, and they show up before Christ. Three candidates to be disciples. But these three men that wanted to follow, they weren't aware of the cost. You know, have you ever gone shopping before and you walk into a store and you're browsing, you're looking at it, and you do one of these and you pick up and you look at the tag and you see it's way out of your league, so you try to play it off like you're, you belong in the store. But you really, you didn't realize what the cost was. You didn't know that it was going to be that expensive, so you walk away from it. No, that's too much. Once they were, once these men were confronted with the price or the cost it was to follow, they didn't stick around. Because they didn't realize the cost. Or maybe you signed up for school or a course at school and you didn't know what the requirements were and the first day you show up and the teacher lays it all out and you get that sheet and says, this is what, this is what the course is going to be about. This is going to be the reading. This is your schedule. These are the assignments. These are the exams. This is how much your exams were worth. And it scares you. And after that first week, you start to see people drop out. I know the Faith Bible Institute, they had their exam uh, this past Friday. You know, you guys studied hard for that. You went into that course and maybe um, you went in there and you're like, yes, I'm going to go and take this Bible study. And you didn't realize the work that was involved with it. You know, it's, uh, it's a high caliber university level course. And if you went into that unaware, maybe you would go in and say, I didn't realize what the standards were, the requirements were. And this is what these men were like. They're coming and saying, I want to follow Christ. But they didn't realize what the cost would be. So we're going to look at these three men this morning. And the first man we're going to look at, this first candidate, we see in verse 57 and 58. And we see that he he approaches Jesus Christ and he says, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And the great thing about this, he was a willing follower. He wanted to do it. And he was willing to go wherever. If we uh, read in Matthew uh, chapter 8, uh, the parallel passage, we see that this man was a scribe. It says in verse uh, Matthew 8, 19, it says, And the certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. 
You know, Jesus knew his heart. His, his motives might have been pure and wanting to follow, but maybe he just didn't really understand what the purpose was, what Jesus Christ was really there for. He didn't truly understand what would be required of him. So the scribes were religious scholars of the day. They studied and they copied the law. But the thing with the scribes is that they would add their own customs and their traditions to this law. They, they put their own things upon what the scripture would say. And for people who would study the law and they would be pushing it on other people their customs, they were completely blind to the Messiah and him being there. They were so unaware of who Jesus Christ was. Mark chapter 2, verse 16, it says, And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? And they would look upon down upon Jesus, and they would, they would try to fight with him and to question him. And because in their lives, they were high and mighty. You know, we know the law. We study the law. And they, they would slide their things in there, and they'd hold everyone to that high standard. And as we're going to find out in a minute, they wouldn't, they wouldn't live up to those standards themselves. But they, they, they looked down upon Jesus Christ. They said, who are you? And they questioned him. And they would look at him reaching out to sinners. And that's the type of people they were, the Pharisees and the Sadducees tempting Christ. And they would try to entangle him and make him look foolish. Uh, Matthew 23, and Jesus Christ, he, he didn't stand for what they were doing and what they believed. And uh, Matthew 23, he really addresses these people and what he thinks about them. And he knows their heart. He knows their motives, and he addresses them. And before he addresses them in Matthew 23, that's when the we see the Pharisees come and they try to entangle Jesus Christ. And we see the Sadducees come after, and then they try to entangle him. And they're trip, trying to trip him up, and Jesus Christ answers them, and they have no answer to it. And after this happens, Jesus Christ here addresses uh, these people. And in uh, Matthew 23, verse 1, the Bible says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works. For they say and do not. They're telling you to do these things, but they don't do it themselves. Verse number four, it says, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their uh, phylacteries and enlarge the borders of the garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called a man, Rabbi, Rabbi, but be ye not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So these were very self-centered, prideful, religious people. They were so consumed with themselves and their own customs and their own beliefs that they missed the Messiah. They didn't realize who Jesus Christ was. They turned their nose up to everyone around them, but they themselves were hypocrites. 
And Christ knew this, and he knew their hearts. The, the passage that we just read, it talks about they bind heavy burdens. And this, this phrase is uh, literally saying, is speaking about uh, loading an animal down. So in those days, they would use animals, and they'd, they'd load their weight upon them, th- their burden upon them. And it's saying the loader burden is bound up and then laid on the beast. So the Pharisees appointed weighty burdens or grievous and heavy precepts and insisted that people should obey them. They insisted on the most minute circumstances of the ceremonial law. The heavy burdens refer not here to the traditions um, and foolish customs of the Pharisees, or the, the heavy burdens refer to the traditions and foolish customs of the Pharisees that they added to the scriptures. And those rites were numerous, they were expensive, they required much time, much property, and were uh, laborious. The Pharisees were rigid in requiring that all people should pay the taxes, give of their property, comply um, with every part of the law with utmost rigor, and yet they indulged themselves and bore a little of the expense and trouble as possible so that where they could avoid it, they would not lend the least aid to the people and toils and expense of their religious rites. They made many additions to the law of the Sabbath, which was... Uh, which was made that day a burden, which was supposed to be designed as a day of rest. It's supposed to be a, a day of joy. But they pressed upon the people a strictness in religion, which they themselves will not be bound by, but secretly transgressed their own traditions, when the public, which they publicly enforce. It talks about them wearing uh, this scripture, the the phylacteries upon them. And these would be uh, things that they would pair upon their forehead and upon their left arm that would have the scriptures in them. And the Bible says that they they would make these broad, they'd make them big and make it look like, look at me, I know the law, I know what the word of God says. God appointed the Jews to make fringes upon their garments. Uh, to remind them that they were a peculiar people. But the Pharisees, these scribes, would make made them larger than common as if they were uh, thereby more religious than others. And then there's another pass, uh, a verse there that says, uh, with one of their fingers, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. In the least degree, they're literally saying, they're not even going to lift a finger to attempt to live up to the standards they're trying to throw upon you. So that's what these scribes were. And Jesus did not look highly upon them. In verse 27 of Matthew 23, it says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. You know, if you read that passage there in Matthew 23, Jesus Christ is not happy with his people. He's not happy with the Pharisees and the scribes for the way they're living their life. But this is the one of these men who came and said, you know, Jesus, I want to follow you. I'm willing to go wherever you're going to go. And that's when Jesus Christ told him in verse number uh, 58, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He was trying to let him know this isn't going to be the way that you know religion. This isn't what you grew up living by and learning. He's basically saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to forsake some of these things. You're going to have to forsake the glamour of it. You know, 
Christ was here to do his father's business. He wasn't here to play religion. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, the scribe who came and said, I want to follow you, he most likely had been following the ministry of Jesus Christ. He was probably there and he saw the feeding of the 5,000. And could you imagine being there that day, seeing that miracle and how amazing that was and the leftovers and how God provided? And maybe he saw that. And he was so used to pomp and circumstance that he probably thought after that, you know, they must have go and have a great time after. They must go party it up and live it up. They must go to those upper rooms and to those feasts. But he didn't realize what Jesus Christ was really there to do. He didn't realize the mission of the Messiah and the urgency of it. And as a scribe, he didn't know what pure motive was because that was so foreign to them because that was that was nothing to do with what their religion was. Everything that they did was for outward appearance. But he said, hey, I see this and I want in. But he didn't realize the cost. He didn't know that Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, didn't have a pill to lay his head. He didn't know that the King of Kings was born in a manger because there was no room. He didn't know that he'd be buried in a borrowed tomb. Jesus Christ was a stranger on this earth. He was just a pilgrim passing through and his ministry was urgent. And he wasn't here to settle down. If you're willing today to be a follower of Christ, you must be willing to forsake the glamour of service and the comforts of this life. Why? Because the urgency of the mission, the urgency of seeking the lost. You know, we're here as pilgrims and strangers. We're here temporarily on this earth and we're just passing through. And to be a follower of Christ, we mustn't consume be consumed with the comforts of this world. To be a follower of Christ, we mustn't be consumed with serving the please, the eyes of men. You know, we're all serving Christ. And we need to humble ourselves. And tonight I'm going to be preaching, uh, once again in Romans, about a transformed life, but looking at our service. And when we're serving with the right attitude, we're going to be serving with a humbled heart. We're going to be serving on a level playing field. You know, all of us here today are serving on a level playing field because we're all serving in light of the mercy of God and serving Him humbly. We shouldn't be serving to please the eyes of man. We need to be humbled. He needed to forsake the glamour and He needed to forsake the religion that He was so used to. He was so used to these religious works. And as a believer here today, when we were saved, we had to put aside all religion. We had to put aside all religious works that we were so um, naturally thinking that we need to do to please someone or to gain salvation. But sometimes as Christians, we don't like to say it, but sometimes we, we start to be religious again. It's just empty service. And we come to church because it's what I'm supposed to do. And I read my Bible, but I didn't actually know what I was reading, and my mind was somewhere else. I prayed because I was told to pray, but I wasn't actually speaking to God. It was just words coming out of my mouth. To be a follower of Christ, you need to be real in your service. Stop adding your own customs to what you're used to doing. Stop holding others to a higher standard and look at your heart. You know, what is your heart before God? What is your service before God and not in the eyes of those around you? 
How's your relationship with God today? You know, are you walking with God? Or is today, is this your Sunday suit, your Sunday smile, and your Sunday service? Because this is what you're used to. This is what you're supposed to do. But you're really still trying to shake off Saturday night, and you can't wait till Monday so you can put it all off and be who you really are. Look at your heart today and say, where am I standing before a holy and righteous God, and what is my service to Him? We need to be real today and be a true follower of Christ. But maybe today you're here and you're not saved. Because this passage here is talking about our service to Christ. But maybe you're here today and you're not saved. But in the same way, to know Christ as your own personal Savior, you need to forsake religion. Any thought that you have about religion, throw it out. It's not about what you can do, which is what religion says. Religion's all about what I can do to appease God. It's not about what you can do because you can do nothing. And it's all about what God can do and God, what, what God will do in your life. You know, God can take your nothing and he can save you from anything that your life's been through and he can give you everything through Jesus Christ. And he can give you a better life through Jesus Christ and a life more abundant here on this earth and the eternal salvation. You trust Christ now and he will take care of the future just like the disciples did. You know, they left their nets. They took no provisions and they went and served and they saw God provide. And oftentimes we say, you know, God, well, if you provide for me, if you show yourself faithful first, then I'll trust you and follow. But he says, no, follow and I will provide. We are strangers and pilgrims in this present world and we can easily get caught up in our own comforts and desires. You know, are we willing to give it up in order to follow because if we're reminded of the urgency of this mission, the reason the Messiah was here, we realize it's urgent. We don't have time to worry about our comforts of this life. We don't have time to worry about our own desires of this life, but we need to be on this mission for Jesus Christ. We're strangers and pilgrims in this present world. But are you willing to give it up in order to follow? There is a cost in following Jesus Christ. Verse number 59, we see... This next candidate, and we see him standing there. In verse number 59, we see that Jesus Christ said unto him, he says, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. He called him to follow. Just as the disciples, some of the disciples, Peter and James, John, Matthew, he called them and said, follow me, follow me. And they answered that call. Matthew 4.19, it says, And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And straightway they left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. There was a call to follow, a call to service, and they responded. And we see the second candidate here, this other man, and he receives that same call, a call to follow, a call to service. And we see that a call to follow, we need to forsake worldly concerns. We need to forsake present circumstances. And these were things that this the second man was looking at. He looked at his life and he said, I have, I have these things to take care of. The disciples, when they received that call, they forsook 
all worldly concerns. They forsook all the present circumstances in their life and they followed Christ. When you, when you look at this passage and he says, you know, I, I need to first go and bury my father. Well, there's a couple of reasons that we know that his father wasn't dead yet. First of all, because he wouldn't have been there. Um, he would have been there for the funeral. And usually in those days, they would bury them the same day they pass away. Most bodies were not embalmed. So if he was there um, following Jesus Christ and listening to him, and his father had passed away, he would have already been there. He would have needed time to travel home. And at the same time, his father may have been old age, but had he been sick, um, this same man would have been home to care for him. Because in those days, when your family, your relatives were sick, they were elderly, you were there to care for them. He wouldn't have left so that he could make those preparations. But he's, we see that he he's thinking about ahead. He's thinking about these worldly concerns and saying, well, God, if I follow you, how am I going to take care of these circumstances? How am I going to take care of these concerns in my life? And so many times we're concerned with tying up loose ends. You know, let me take care of these things first. And we exhaust everything that we can do first before we say, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. But God says, follow me. And we need to forsake all to follow him. Oftentimes we do this when we walk away from God. We turn our backs on God and we're living away from Him. And God is saying, come back to me. Come back to me. We say, well, God, I have to take care of these first. I need to get some of these things right first. I have other things I'm worried about first. I have this job I need to take care of first. But when God is saying, you need to follow me. And we try to barter with God. And we have these desires. And, you know, I have my own wants. You know, let me do this first. Let me get married first. Let me get this promotion at work first. Let me have my black backup plan ready first. You know, I, have, I need to have my rainy day fun first. Let me, whatever the blank is in your life, let me do this first before I follow you. You know, we'll follow you, God, but in my own time. Matthew 6, 33, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And that passage is speaking about the provision of God. And so often in our lives, God's calling us. He's saying, follow me. Serve me. Be a disciple of me. And we're saying, no, God, I have these things in my life I have to take care of first. I have these concerns in my life. I have things I need to take care of. But we don't realize the urgency of the calling. We don't realize the urgency of the service we're giving to God. We don't realize the urgency of the mission of the Messiah and why he came and to save us. We need to follow him. We need to forsake our worldly concerns. We need to forsake present circumstances. And maybe today, once again, you're not saved. You don't know Christ as your Savior. You're looking at your life and you say, God, my life's a mess. I'm at rock bottom. You know, human nature is, I need to fix this up first. You know, let me clean this mess up first. And so many people, unsaved, approach God and say, God, I know you want to save me, but I have a couple things I need to fix in my life first. I have a couple things I need to change before I come to you. I've seen it with my family members. They say, you know, I know what God has done for me. I know that he died to save me, but I have some things in my life I need to take care of first. I have some things I need to to fix up in my life first before I go to God. But that's not how it works. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 
And today, if you're not saved, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can experience the transforming grace and power of God today who makes all things new. We see the transforming power after you're saved. And you can experience that today. In Mark 2, verse 17, the Bible says, When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus Christ is saying, if you come to me, it's like I came to save sinners. He's calling us to repentance. He's saying, you know, turn away from your sins. He said, he doesn't say to fix them up. He says, turn away from them and come to me. And he's like, I will give you a new life. I will make you a new creature. And God's calling you today. As a believer, he's calling you today to follow him. As an unbeliever today, God's calling you today and saying, come to me and be saved. And I hope you answer that call today. And then we're going to look at the last candidate this morning. The third candidate, we see him in verse number 61. The Bible says, and also, and another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto them, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. And we see someone else here, and he wanted to follow. He said, you know, God, I'm willing to follow. I'll follow thee, but first let me take care of some of these things. He said he, he was concerned with what was at home. But I think Jesus Christ, he knew his heart here. You know, Jesus Christ knows our thoughts. He knows the motives of our heart. And I think he knew the motives of his heart. I think he knew if he would go home that maybe he wouldn't come back to follow him. Would he really be willing to follow if he went back home? We see the example of the disciples. They knew the cost. They knew what it took to be a follower of Christ, and they forsook all. They forsook their nets. They didn't look to the past. They didn't look to what was behind them, and they went ahead. I think about Elisha as as he was ready to take uh, take over the ministry of Elijah. What did he do? He burned his plow and his yoke. He, he used that to light the fire, and he boiled the oxen that he used to plow the field. He, he put it all behind him, and he says, you know, God, I'm going to follow you. You know, we can't be looking back to our past. We can't be living in the past if we're going to follow Christ today, if we're going to go forward for Christ today. You think of people in the Bible who look back to the past. Lot's wife looked back and was turned into a pillar of salt. After being delivered from the bondage of Egypt, we see that the children of Israel, what did they do? They were living in the grace of God and the mercy of God, and yet still they looked back at the life that they had in in Egypt like it was something great. And the entire generation missed an opportunity to enter the promised land. You know, today, so many times we look back in our lives. And we we try to look back and we say, God, I want to follow you, but there's some things that I'm still trying to hold on to. Some things that I, I just can't let go of yet. You know, I want to follow you, but I'm just not ready. I have some things to take care of in my past. Sometimes... We hold on to past sins. You know, we need to repent of our sins. We need to turn to Him. If you're here in an unbeliever today, you need to repent of your sins. You need to turn away from your sins and go to Christ to be able to follow Him. You know, you're thinking, maybe here you're thinking, you're saying, you know, I want to follow Christ. I want to follow Him. I want to be saved, but I just can't let go. I can't, I can't leave my loved ones behind. Maybe they're not going to follow with me. You know, I have family today that will not get saved because their spouse won't get saved. They say, I know the truth, 
I know what the word of God says, but they're resisting because they said, I'm not going to leave my spouse if he's not going to follow Christ with me. And they won't accept Christ as their savior. You know, you're holding on to the past. You know, I can't leave my friends behind. If I get saved, what are my friends going to think of me? What are my, what are the people at my workplace going to say if I show up one day and I'm living a life a certain way and I show up the next and I'm different? What are they going to say? And we try to hold on. We need to look ahead if we're going to follow Christ. We need to look ahead and follow Him. He uses the illustration here in verse number 62. He says, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. When I was in college, I worked at the camp for one of the summers and I spent most of the summer cutting grass. And I have a little tractor and I drive around the camp. I learned one thing. When you're cutting grass, if you want nice and straight lines, which I'm super picky about, I'm going to make sure that I'm driving straight. And if I was going to be looking back, someone called my name, if I looked at something ahead, it was so quick for me to turn that wheel and to get off the path. And I'd look back and my line would be straight and be wavering and wandering. And Jesus here uses that same illustration of if you're going to put your hand to the plow looking back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. You're not ready to move forward if you're going to be looking back to your past. In those days, when you think about the plow, they would use, they would have a, a plow and they'd have their oxen pulling it. And I never really give it too much thought, but when you think about it, um, that tool typically would have one handle. And you'd hold on to that one handle and another hand would be controlling the oxen because you'd be telling it when to go, when to stop. And the other hand would be controlling it. But at the same time, that plow, it was fairly light. You'd have to be able to maneuver it. It wasn't, it wasn't like the plows you think of today, very heavy duty. It was something very light. So that plow, as you're pushing it, you'd be leaning your body weight into it. You'd be pushing that plow. And if you weren't putting your body weight into it, you weren't getting anywhere. You weren't making those grooves. You weren't plowing correctly. And it was pointless if you were going to look back. Because if you're looking back, you weren't able to control the oxen. You weren't able to stay straight. You weren't able to stay on the path. And you weren't even able to put a a dent into the ground. You weren't even able to make an impact. And today, as Christians here today, and you say, you know, I want to follow Christ, and you're saying, but I have a couple things in my past, you're going to make no impact. You're not going to be able to follow Christ. You're not going to be able to stay straight. If you're looking back to your past, you're going to be wandering away from what God has for your life. You're going to be falling off the path rather than plowing ahead and doing great things for God. I hope today, as Christ is calling you to follow him, whether you're a believer and he's calling you to service or you're here today as an unbeliever and he's calling you to salvation, saying being saved, I hope you're not looking back. I'm hoping you're saying, yes, God, I want to follow you and I'm going to go ahead. I'm not going to look back. I'm going to repent for my sins. I'm going to turn away and give them to you so you can create a new life in me. I'm not going to let my past hold me back. So we see these three candidates interested in following Christ, but they didn't know the cost. And Christ wasn't rejecting them, but he was teaching them, you know, I don't think this is what you realize it's going to be. It's not always easy. But if anyone can tell us that it wasn't easy, it would be Jesus Christ. It wasn't easy for him. Imagine the king of kings who created this world, who created the fox. He created the birds who have a hole to go to and a nest 
to sleep in, and yet the king of kings had nowhere to lay his head every day at night. There is a cost to be a follower of Christ. And it has to do with the mission. It has to do with the urgency. It has to do with that, the fact that we're pilgrims and strangers here on this earth. There's a cost to follow Him, but there's also a cost today to not follow Him. As an unbeliever, if you're, if you're not saved, there's a cost to not follow Christ, to not become a believer. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners. We come short of the glory of God. Hebrews 9.27 says, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And we all know that no one here is unaware of the fact that all of us one day are going to die. It's appointed unto men once to die. There's a time and place. And we don't know that. But are you ready to meet Jesus Christ today? But the great thing is, and we talked about that this morning as we had that passage, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He shines his light in this darkness. And you can have the hope of Jesus Christ today. The Bible tells us if we call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. And I hope today that you're one of those people that say, you know what? I see Christians. I see what the Word of God says. You're not really sure, but you say, I I want to follow Christ. But I hope you realize what you need to do to follow Him, to turn away from your sins and to run to Him, not to hold on to your past, not to try to take care of things, not to try to take care of the circumstances of your life, but run to Jesus Christ today who wants to give you eternal life and a life more abundant. And I hope today, believers, that as you consider your life, don't consider anyone else's life. Don't be like the scribe who's looking up to everyone else and saying, well, I'm going to measure everyone else's life here. You know, he's not living up to this standard. He's not living up to this standard. No, look at your life today and say, how is my heart today? What is my life before God right now at this very moment? And don't want be one of those people that say, well, I'll take care of it later. No, think about it right now. Why are you here this morning? Why are you in church this morning? Take care of it. Stand before God today and leave this place knowing that you're right with God, that you're serving God, and that you're following Him without holding on to any of these things, that you're forsaking all like the disciples and follow Him today. Let's pray this morning.